0: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out deep into your retirement or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to the Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tina Hay. She is the founder of Napkin Finance, which is a visual guide to money. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Tina.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: So just start a little bit with your background and how you got to creating this whole concept of napkin finance.
2: Sure. So I am a visual learner, as many people are, and I found myself in business school. Sitting in the classroom, I went to Harvard with, you know, bankers, consultants, who'd already had many years of experience. And I am not a numbers person. I engage much more with uh, graphics and sketches and illustrations. And so most people are visual learners, and we learn through... Graphics and so I found myself sketching out notes and something that really resonated with me, but also now has inspired you know an entire platform that helps simplify money and finance using sketches, illustrations, storyboards, and other graphics to tell a story around a topic or a theme.
1: So why does visual learning uh, help people understand financial topics that just print or online does not help?
2: So, it's, human beings are actually visual creatures, and so the way our minds process information is, first of all, we do it more um, intuitively when it's a visual um, element, and also the way that it's processed is much faster, it's more memorable, um, and it's a way of thinking, it's a way of learning that most people relate to much more than numbers or, or jargon or other elements that can be more intimidating, especially when it relates to money and finance.
1: When you think of a napkin in business, you think of a kind of a business plan or some kind of a great business idea that you put that on a napkin. What was the first time that you thought of napkin finance and how did that happen?
2: Yeah, so, you know, we're all familiar with back of the napkin. And so the napkin was just a perfect form factor because it's a small amount of real estate and it really forces us to be, you know, distill what's most important in a topic or theme. And so the napkin just was a perfect fit for what we're trying to do, which is, Make these different topics simple and visual and fun and engaging.
1: What kind of response have you had since the napkins and the book has come out?
2: It's been amazing. I mean, we've been we've been very lucky to not only you know educate people but really help people with major life decisions and help younger people, but also you know older um, readers that are having struggles with yeah. learning about different topics in money and finance. they've never had exposure to women. But really, our readers are come from all you know aspects and socioeconomic backgrounds, and really different levels of sophistication. And so, it's been fun to see it engage with so many different people and really help them with something as important as you know basic financial literacy.
1: What can people find at napkinfinance.com that might complement what's in the book and on the, on the napkins?
2: Yeah, so it's completely different content that we have on our website. Um, so at napkinfinance.com we have a lot of different topics some of them are covered in the book but really we break down money and finance into napkins but also articles videos we break it down also into life events like getting married having a baby which really are important milestones but also really call for different financial decisions um, the website is just a different type of um, infographic and, and napkin style but it's very similar to the book it's it's more extensive and offers some different ideas and examples as well. But the book is really our, our most elevated piece of work and brings things together in such a unique way that it gives you an, you know, an understanding of money 101, but also topics like cryptocurrency and game theory and paying off, you know, student loans and building credit and, you know, taxes, entrepreneurship, um, the economy and much more.
1: Yeah, we're going to get into them in some great detail during this Money Answer show. But in general, what is your impression of how personal finance is being taught in the schools K through 12 and even in college?
2: Yeah, so most people never learn in school. There are very few, actually, I believe approximately only 21 states are required to offer financial literacy education. So there is a huge need for really good content and helping people learn about it before they make major decisions like taking on student loan debt. So K through 12, there aren't many schools that actually offer education, and many parents don't teach their kids. So people are at a disadvantage when they do need to make important decisions and, you know, can, can really benefit from learning about the basics early on. But unfortunately, there is no content or curriculum around it in schools.
1: So what is the downside? What do you see as the impact of financial illiteracy in the country?
2: I mean, it's devastating. Many people, it's a vicious cycle for many people, you know, taking on debt, not understanding what it means, taking on and opening too many credit cards, not being able to invest in the markets or participate and really grow their money, um, or not being able to, you know, find help or resources to take advantage of opportunities to make your money work for you. Um, But really, financial health, Impacts every aspect of our life, our even our well-being, our relationships, our social life, our activities, leisure, where we live, how we live. So it's really critical for people to to really be prepared and be able to make better decisions.
1: In many cases, I find the teachers aren't very comfortable with the subject because the kids are going to ask them, "How are you doing with your debt?" And so they don't feel comfortable right. teaching something that they're not doing very well at themselves.
2: Oh, agreed. I mean, and again, teachers don't have the right resources to teach this these topics as well. So they're, you know, we're hoping that this changes in the next 10, 20 years where it's required curriculum really more important than so many other topics that people are learning right now in school. Has
1: this been adapted by schools?
2: Our content has been used in some classrooms, and actually it's been so popular that some... Um, Teachers are using it as their final exam, which is kind of learning by doing, by sketching out these different concepts. But we haven't been integrated into any real school districts yet, although we are in classrooms around the country, and we have worked with schools and universities.
1: Great. Well, let's get into some of the topics you talk about. You start the book with compound interest. And what is it that most people don't understand about compound interest? you're trying to get to them here?
2: Yes, yeah, so common interest is powerful because it can work for you or against you. It can work for you because it's you know it's they call it magic because it's again, it's in, it's investing but investing and in earning interest on your interest. So, for example, if you're investing in the stock market or for retirement, it can be very powerful when your 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 money is working for you with compound interest and over time. Um, The way it works against you is if it's, you know, you have debt, or and that's compounding against you, and that can work, you know, very quickly to add up. and, And so it's important to understand how powerful compound interest can be early on. It's one of the most fundamental and most important topics around money and finance that people really need to understand.
1: A lot of what you're talking about here is psychological as well. So what is your sense of today in the market, literally today, where the stock market's falling extremely sharply, oil prices are falling, interest rates are falling. There's just a lot of fear out there. How should people react to such a violent day in the investment markets?
2: Right, so I think a few different things are really important when markets are so volatile. Is number one, understanding that markets fluctuate. That's just what they do. And so understanding also what that means, what is volatility, you know, what? and we actually have a new napkin on volatility on our site um, but volatility really is it's a measure of the size and the price swings and understanding what volatility is. But having a longer, pers- longer term perspective on your money and understanding what your goals are. So anyone who's investing really needs to, number one, be able to understand what their short term and long term goals are. Um, take advantage of professional help. Ask for help and also take advantage of resources like apps and technology to automate things. But. In today's market, since there's so much uncertainty, the important thing to know is that no one knows what's going to happen. But with proper planning, with diversification, and really being educated about how the markets work, how your money can work for you, especially in the long term, um, what that means, all of that is really critical, especially in times like today where there's so much uncertainty.
1: So in these kind of times when there's uncertainty, people tend to rush into so-called safe havens, things like bonds, maybe even gold, cash, things like that. Does that make sense or is it usually a, a better idea not to panic and go for safe havens when the market's plummeting?
2: Right. Again, panicking is never the answer. And so and again, we, we never provide financial advice. We stay purely with education because every person's situation is so different. But but panic has never helped anyone. And again, that's why it's important to really evaluate your portfolio what your goals are, your time horizon, to be able to make decisions instead of panicking. Panicking can be you know a byproduct of uncertainty and not knowing and not being educated about about what your goals are. But it is we're living in a very interesting time and this year, especially with the elections coming up, there will be a lot more uncertainty in the market. So it's really important for people to really understand what their goals are and where they have some flexibility to kind of be patient and and watch their money grow over a longer period of time. You know, over a twenty period, uh, twenty year period, the S and P has never lost money, even though annually there are fluctuations and there is volatility.
1: So one of the things you're talking about is savings, where you're recommending that people should put as much as twenty percent aside if they if they can. What do most people do? A lot of Americans don't save at all. Why is that?
2: Right. So 20% is a good start and it may not work for everyone. Most people, and we've encountered this with readers you know, of all ages, is that most people don't really have a budget in place and don't really know what money is coming in and going out. And so some of it is because people are not really putting a plan together in place to understand what's, you know, what they want to save and what they want to spend. And especially with saving, the goal is really to automate it again, is to make it kind of work behind the scenes for you. Uh, the whole point of working or, or learning about money and finance and really being empowered is to be able to let it sit in the background and not take over your life. So making smart decisions that can help you over the long term. So with saving, it's really critical to have a budget in place. To, have, to understand the rules of thumb, like 20% is a great start. But again, it depends. If you're closer to retirement, that'll be different. If you're younger, if you have a stable job, if you're saving and planning to buy a home, we all have different financial goals. And so it's really important that every person's budget is tailored to that.
1: And where should you put your savings today? Since if you keep it in a savings account, you're pretty much getting zero these days.
2: Right. So I think the important thing is to, number one, I mean, if you can automate it, that's a great way to make sure that monthly you have you have funds that are put aside. Um, there is no ideal place to put it. As you mentioned, you know, interest rates are really low. Um, and again, it depends what if you need to access your savings, if you have an emergency fund set up. There are different savings goals, you know, whether it's for, again, an emergency fund or to save for a trip or your children's college education it all really depends but the key is to put it somewhere very safe um, and make sure it's insured and that you have access to in case of emergency
1: very good we're going to take a break this is jordan goodman of the money answer show my guest this hour is tina hay she's the author of napkin finance build your wealth in 30 seconds or less you can also find out more about her and her book at her website napkinfinance.com we'll be back after this
4: Your leadership journey must be a continuous process of education and improvement. If you think you've learned all you need to know, think again. Find out the latest from contemporary authors on topics from character to values and everything in between. Discover insights into servant leader fundamentals along with your host, Tom Crea. Tune into Your Evolving Leadership Journey, Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
3: And discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tina Hay. She is the founder of Napkin Finance and has done a book called Napkin Finance, Build Your Wealth in 30 Seconds or Less, you can also find out more about her at her website, napkinfinance.com. Welcome back to the show, Tina.
2: Thank you so much.
1: So budgeting is the next area you talk about. What are, most people don't understand about budgeting and why aren't they budgeting?
2: Right. So the important thing about budgeting, again, is to understand kind of and follow a you know a structure. Um, which we we believe one of the easiest ones is the 50-20-30 rule. Um, And basically it means putting aside 50% of your budget towards essentials, 30% towards flexible items like vacationing, leisure, eating out, shopping, gifts, and 20% towards your financial goals, everything from saving um, to planning for retirement, paying off debt. The reason a budget is so important is because it can really kind of give you, like help you plan for the long term, help protect you in case of emergencies, and really understand where you stand as far as your money coming in and out every month. And so everyone should have a budget in place and, and ideally automate it and make sure that there is some structure behind it to make it seamless and effective.
1: Great. The next topic you're about is debt. And there's kind of good debt and bad debt. What, how do you know if a debt is good or bad?
2: Well, good debt are things like mortgages or student loans, things that are helping you either purchase something, have a home to live in. The return on your investment on an education ideally is a good investment. The bad types of debt are credit card debt, things that, you know, can compound and really quickly add up, and they don't work in your favor, and usually they are unnecessary.
1: So it's a matter of, are you getting a return from the interest you're paying that's higher than the interest you're paying? And we were saying with a credit
2: exactly. card,
1: it's, it's a higher interest rate, and you're not getting much of a return, but with a mortgage and a student loan, in theory, you're getting a higher return. Is that the, exactly. the in
2: It's the value, what you're getting, you know, there's, there's you know, you can have a mortgage that you can't afford, and that's not good debt, but it's the value that you're getting for the money that you're investing into this, you know, into taking on debt, and but so, today, for example, education is—it can be a great investment even if you have to take on student loan debt.
1: But in many cases, they're not getting a good return.
2: That's that. true. That's true. That's why it's important for people to, to, to really assess whether it makes sense to take on student loan debt and it makes sense to make that commitment, whether that's going to be a positive ROI.
1: Do you think some people go to college who shouldn't be and take on debt that they shouldn't?
2: um i do think people many people are actually transitioning away from four year colleges and especially because of the debt that they will take on they will and that will follow you through the rest of your life you know student loan debt follows you even through bankruptcy through to death pretty much essentially so many people are opting for alternative paths like apprenticeships trade schools work, study, other opportunities to get an education and progress and find, you know, a career, but not be burdened with so much student loan debt that can really be crippling.
1: You have a a, a napkin on the whole concept of uh, interest and borrowing money. What do people not understand about interest compounding against them?
2: So, again, the same way that interest can work for you, it can quickly Work against you, and again, like I mentioned, credit card debt is one way. That, for example, if you're paying high interest, usually on your credit car, credit card um, debt, it can be crippling, and they can add up very quickly. And so, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of only make you know taking on debt that can really be in your favor, and paying off any, especially high interest debt that you can either pay off, close your accounts, or consolidate.
1: Then you have a section on banks. Uh, so what do people not understand about banks? About 20% of the population is unbanked. They can't qualify or don't have enough money for minimums. For They have no banking relationship. So what should people understand more about banks?
2: Well, I think banks are, you know, a great way to make sure your money is safe and secure. Most of them are insured or FDIC insured. We've seen many people, you know, right now put their money into you know, investments or places where it or, or banks that are not necessarily insured or accounts. And so unfortunately if anything happens, your money is gone. So I think a bank is a very safe place. The purpose of a bank is really to to service your money, to make loans, to cash your checks, take deposits. Um many people are underbanked or unbanked because again they may not have access to you know, credit or opportunities or enough money to actually open up a bank account. And that can work against you with, as we've seen with payday loans and other very, you know, crippling ways of of not having a bank or some secure way to invest or save your money.
1: Are you concerned about the banking system today? I mean, the Federal Reserve has been injecting a lot of liquidity, as has the European Central Bank around the world. To keep things going. There's concern that there might be a lot of bad loans, particularly to the oil sector. Are you concerned about the state of the banking sector today?
2: Not at all. I mean, I think in the United States, we're actually, we have the most secure and stable banking system around. So I don't think there's any um, threat to the banking system that anyone should be worried about. And if anything, I mean, I think it's the alternatives that are more of, a, you know, that can be... Um, more um, offer less stability and safety is these other new new neo banks or upstarts that claim to be able to save you money and and be a home base for your money, but not really offer you any protection or insurance in case something goes wrong.
1: What would be some examples of some of those bank alternatives, I guess, called fintech operations?
2: Yeah. So there are so many of them. I mean, many of them that offer savings accounts for, very high interest rates, but again, you may not be able to pull out your money when you need to. There may not be very liquid. I think the key is to really make sure that you're working with a stable institution or, or, or a fintech company that has a a bank charter that's reliable and your money is safe and secure.
1: You also talk about emergency funds. Uh, you, you say it'd be nice to have three to six months of living expenses in that. Is that realistic for most people?
2: Well, it the the point of the emergency fund is to save it up over time. And it the point of an emergency fund is because, unfortunately, throughout our lives, there will be unexpected expenses that come up. And so for many people, especially if you start saving early on, um, three to six months is definitely something that can be saved up and really actually critical because an emergency fund is the cornerstone of financial stability. And you don't want to have to rely on your credit cards or... Uh, your retirement savings in case you do need to pull money out for an unexpected expense.
1: And you have a nomination for something that is not an emergency to use your emergency fund. What would that be?
2: That would be Coachella tickets, although someone brought to my attention recently, would it still not be an emergency if Beyonce was headlining? <laughs> yes. So, you, you know, that's that's a tough call. There are definitely exceptions. But, yes, Coachella is not an emergency. <laughs> Tickets to Coachella can be, yes.
1: But or maybe not, Burning Man would be different. Yeah.
2: Burning Man, definitely, definitely not a not an emergency. <laughs> okay.
1: Next you go on to insurance. So what do people typically not understand about insurance that you you clear up on this napkin?
2: Sure. So insurance is, you know, and different, insurance is different at different stages of life, which is what's really critical. Um, And what's important is that you are secure and you do have insurance when necessary. And it depends if you, again, if you own a home, if you're buying a car, if you have kids, um, you know, really insurance is something that's very specific to where you are in your life and, and and again, if you have a family and other considerations. So insurance is very specific and depends a lot on where you are and what your financial standing is.
1: So do you find a lot of people are underinsured for what they really should be? In And what area are they most underinsured in?
2: So there's not one area that, that we find people are underinsured, but we find that many people are not checking in at different milestones to see what insurance is necessary and important. You know, most of the time... We do have to have insurance if we're buying a car, but again, if you are having kids or have a new job or renting, I mean, there are other types of insurance that secure you that may not be required. So it's important for people to be proactive to understand when they do need insurance and what kind.
1: Then you have a whole section on credit, the credit where it's due, as you say. So how should, what do people now understand about building up a good credit record as a borrower?
2: Right. So credit, and again, credit is important because it's, as you mentioned, it's your record as a borrower. It's whether you are someone that a bank or someone else would want to loan money to. And credit is really important because people don't think about it until they're ready to apply for a mortgage or a loan. And so the most important thing is to early on make sure that you're paying off your credit cards in a timely manner. You're not missing payments. You're you're, close. You're paying your bills on time. You are um, checking your credit report for errors and making sure you there is no identity theft. You are, um, you know, accepting and increasing credit limits if it's offered to you. So all of these are really important things that help you build better credit, which means you get lower interest rates and save a lot of money over time.
1: A lot of people are probably not aware or not following their credit score, and when they're trying to apply for a loan, it's too late at that point. You're not in the auto dealership saying, oh, my number's too bad, let's move it up. It, you should have to take care of it before you actually need to use it in a certain way.
2: That's correct. And, and also now there are so many, you know, resources where you can get a credit score for, free. you can check your credit report for free. So, again, it's all about being proactive and making sure you're checking even for the basics like an error or, you know, mistake or something that you can correct
1: What's the difference between a credit card and a debit card as to how you should use it?
2: Right. So a credit card is, a, it's a, they're different in that a debit card is you're getting deducted for any payment that you make. Your your, invest, your account is getting deducted for payments. Credit is, a credit card, you're borrowing money to pay off, pay for different items. Each has its own benefits. Um, but again, with a credit card, you can help build your credit, which is something that's very powerful.
1: Very good. What are some of the things that people can do to improve their credit? You have a napkin on that topic.
2: Right. Again, things like not, you know, not missing your payments, paying your bills on time, checking your credit report, um, paying your credit card in full. All of those types of things help you build and improve your credit score.
1: And what are the things that do not help you improve your credit?
2: Things like missing payments, using more than 30% of your limit, closing old credit cards, applying for unnecessary credit. Those really really don't improve your score and actually can damage it.
1: A lot of people don't know these things, so this is all very helpful. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Tina Hay. She's the founder of Napkin Finance. Her book is called Napkin Finance, Build Your Wealth in 30 Seconds or Less. Her website is napkinfinance.com. We'll be back after this.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tina Hay. She's the founder of Napkin Finance. Her book is called Napkin Finance, Build Your Wealth in 30 Seconds or Less. Her website, napkinfinance.com. Welcome back to the show, Tina.
2: Thank you so much.
1: We're talking about credit and your FICO credit score. What are the major factors that impact your FICO score positively or negatively?
2: So the important factors are number one is your payment history. Um, number two, I would it would be the amounts that you owe. Um, number three is the length of your credit history, which is why, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's to early it's best to start as soon as possible. The other two factors, main factors, are how much new credit you have and your credit mix. All of these are accounted for when FICO, which is the Fair Isaac Corporation, um, determines your score.
1: So some people don't have credit because they can't get it. They They pay their rent or pay their utilities. Can they improve their credit score if they don't have traditional credit cards and other loans?
2: There are now alternative ways to develop and determine if you have a credit score. Many people are using, you know, there are are newer technology um, uh, platforms that are using things like your social media history or, you know, things like whether you are responsible about, you know, making, um, you know, other payments on time, things that traditionally don't count for credit. So there the, are these new variations on getting and, and building a credit score for people who don't have traditional credit, especially people who have immigrated to this country and don't, don't have a credit score. And so there are other ways, but the, the traditional ways of, of putting together a credit score are really, you know, how much you owe, how, how much, the amounts that you owe and your payment history.
1: How do people use credit scores against people beyond just granting credit? How else are people being impacted positively or negatively by where their credit score is?
2: Right. So I think the important thing about a credit score is it impacts whether you can borrow money or if you're buying a, you know, if you're leasing a car or buying a home. Everything. Credit is really important because it impacts a lot of different aspects of your life. Some employers look at your credit. So it really is important to be very proactive and make sure that if you do not have, poor, if you have poor credit, that you're making an effort to improve it.
1: Some cases, insurance companies, car insurance companies, will use a credit score more than a driving record to determine what kind of premium you pay because I think you're a good driver if you have a high credit score. Right. Like that.
2: Right. It definitely is important to make sure before you think you need to be on top of your credit to make sure that you are being proactive about it, checking your score, checking for errors and, you know, taking advantage of getting a free credit report.
1: Your next section is on investing. Um, so a lot of people don't invest at all. How can you convince people to start getting investing, particularly when the market's so volatile as it's been lately?
2: So sometimes when the market is volatile, it can be the best time to start investing. And the reason people need to invest is because, for a few reasons, it's it's making your money work for you. And we had talked about compound interest previously. It's if you earn money and earn interest on top of your money, then you're growing your money, not just the principal amount, but the money that you've earned as well. So it can be a great way over time to grow your investment and grow your money. Um, and it's better... It earning potential, than you're, you know, putting your money into a low interest savings account. Um, and the, the, you know, what people think investing means is really having a lot of money to invest. But now you can do it with even like a dollar a day. So it's important for people to be proactive about that and really take advantage of, again, these apps that automate it, um, that can help you invest even just a few dollars um, at a time.
1: You talk about the different asset classes. People are familiar with stocks, bonds, and cash. But what are some of the alternatives to the big three that you would recommend people look at, look into?
2: Sure. So the alternatives can include everything from, um, you know, cryptocurrency, art, real estate, gold, hedge funds, uh, you know, foreign investments, private equity. There's there are a lot of different you know alternatives. The important thing to know, understand, and and keep in mind is that their risk and return can vary greatly. And so most people stick to, you know, stock bonds and cash, but it's nice to have some diversification in your portfolio and and have some alternatives included in your your investments.
1: Specifically as it relates to cryptocurrencies, it got very hot when crypto was going up, then it got very cold when it went down, it's kind of come back. What is your view of the average person playing with cryptocurrencies?
2: Right. So cryptocurrency has been very unstable. And I mean, you know, I I know many people who've made a lot of money. But again, depending on what your your goals are and how much money you have to risk and how you're diversified, cryptocurrency can be a very high risk investment. So it's not appropriate for every person. And so it's important for everyone to understand kind of where they can take risk and if cryptocurrency is how they want to go about doing that.
1: And you do have a napkin about diversification. So what is the secret of diversification? How does that get you better returns with lower risk over time?
2: Right. So I think diversification is one of the other prin- principles around in money and finance, and especially investing, that is so critical for people to understand. And, you know, a simple way of thinking about it is not putting all your eggs in one basket, is that when you do invest your money, Um, that you have it spread out into different asset classes. Things like we mentioned before, stocks, bonds, alternatives, cash. You can even diversify within an asset class by, you know, with with stocks, by investing in different um, industries or company size and so on. The importance of diversification is that each of your asset classes or each piece of your portfolio is then impacted by different external forces. And so it balances each other out and just gives you more stability over the long term.
1: And then you have a whole napkin about risk versus reward. I mean, it seems kind of strange right now, what you think as a low risk investment, bonds are soaring in value, where the high risk investment stocks are plunging in value at the same time. Is that the whole idea of offsetting risk versus reward?
2: Right. Well, the, the risk versus reward is there are definitely different investment types that carry more risk inherently, like we mentioned, cryptocurrency or investing in a startup. With a savings account and bonds, I mean, you, your money is more accessible and liquid. And so there is more stability and less risk involved. Um, but there may not be as much you know, upside to it. So it's really important to balance out what you, you know, and it's a measure of volatility, right? It's that it's how much volatility, usually the more volatile, the more risk there is, but the more reward, so it really depends on where you are and what your risk profile is and how diversified you are. And then you can understand where um, risk can play a factor in helping you with increase your returns as well.
1: And I noticed under the types of risk, you even have a picture of a black swan. Uh, maybe explain what that is and how it's very relevant today.
2: Right. So a black swan can be any you know, event or something that, that is unexpected like, for example, the coronavirus today, but there have been many over in throughout history. They're unexpected and you can't really plan for them. But they do introduce more risk and volatility into the markets and so they can work for you or against you. But what's important is to understand is that they're oftentimes they're very much unknown and you can't really plan ahead for them.
1: What have been some past examples of black swans in addition to coronavirus today?
2: I mean, I guess you could say September 11th, Um, I mean, you know, there have been other pandemics. Um, It's really difficult to say, but it's, again, things that are unexpected that you can't really plan for, which is why no one knows what's going to happen with the markets or when things are going to turn around because no one has a crystal ball.
1: Right. You have a section on robo-advisors, what are the advantage of using a robo-advisor versus a human advisor?
2: Right, so usually robo advisors help you automate investing, and which means that it's usually lower fees. There are some tax efficiencies as well, um, and their portfolios that come come you know that are provided by robo advisors seem to be more standardized and unbiased. With a human advisor, it's more customized to your immediate goals, your short and long term um, goals. You have a you know, a person that can provide you more support. Um, And the fees are a little bit higher oftentimes than robo-advisors.
1: We have a whole section on retirement called Into the Sunset. Uh, What are some things that people should be doing to save more for retirement? Because a lot of people are saving very little, if not anything.
2: Right. So the most important thing to think about when thinking about retirement is that retirement is expensive. Most people don't realize how expensive it is, and there are no guarantees that there will be Social Security or, you know, that your savings will be adequate. So the most important thing about retirement is to start as soon as possible. Start investing in stocks. Start start capturing your full employer match and save 15 percent is the good rule of thumb during your working years towards investment.
1: What is your outlook for Social Security? Do you think it's going to be around forever or do changes have to be made?
2: I mean, nobody knows. Well, it's, it's, it's not looking good. But again, it's something that most people can't rely on is that Social Security is not, you know, an ideal way to plan your retirement. Um, and your benefits may not be available by the time you reach retirement age.
1: And how about Medicare? What's your outlook for the financial strength of Medicare?
2: So we, we don't provide any, I mean, we, we stay away from providing any types of specific outlooks on what will happen, you know, especially with Medicare or Social Security. But again, you know, most of the experts believe that, you know, for medical expenses and, so, and, and retirement savings, it's mo- mostly it's important to plan ahead and not rely on any kind of government help or, you know, backup.
1: You have a section, or a napkin on IRAs versus 401ks. If you have to choose one or the other, where should you put your money first?
2: Right. So if your employer offers the 401k, that's a great way to start. Um, it really doesn't matter which one you choose as long as you do or you are proactive and have some kind of a retirement account set up. It's a great way to save. Um, what's important is that if, you're, if your employer does offer a 401k, that, they, that if they do offer a match as an incentive that you take advantage of it and, you know, it's essentially free money. So with a 401k or an IRA, it, they're both great ways to save for retirement, to build your wealth and have potential investment growth. But it does, you know, the most important thing is to start as soon as you can and, and, and make sure that you do have some kind of a retirement account set up.
1: And when you choose between a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA, what choices should you make there?
2: Right. So one is pre-tax, one is post-tax. And again, it depends what your long-term, you know, what your tax, uh, where you stand tax-wise, what your long-term and short-term goals are when you are opening it up. Again, you know, one is pre-tax, one is post-tax money. Uh, They both have their benefits. It doesn't really matter which one you choose as long as you do take advantage of it. Then you have a
1: napkin about estate planning. What are some of the key things you have to make sure you're covered for in estate planning in case something happens you don't expect?
2: Right. So it's really important not only to protect, you know, your your yourself because it helps you protect yourself in case of disability or illness, but also to protect the ones that you love um, and reduce your taxes. So it's important to have power of attorneys in place or medical power of attorney will. Um, trust, medical directive, and designate your beneficiaries and people who can make decisions for you in case it's important, in case you need that.
1: You highlight two famous people who did not have wills. Who are them? Who are they?
2: Uh, well, there are actually many, but in our in our book we highlight Prince and Picasso.
1: And what happened to them when they didn't have a will?
2: Uh, so usually your estate goes into probate. It's a lot of headaches. It just makes it much more difficult for your heirs to... Um, uh, to you know, uh, to to pass along your money to your heirs, um, all kinds of tax issues with it. But again, going into probate and the courts get involved, so it's really not the ideal way of uh, of planning uh, planning your, you know, your your for when you're passing away and not protecting the people that you love.
1: All right, good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Tina Hay. She's the founder of Napkin Finance. Her book is called Napkin Finance, Build Your Wealth in 30 Seconds or Less. Her website is also napkinfinance.com. We'll be back after this.
3: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
4: own it outright in five to seven years call truth and equity 888-262-5540 or visit truth eight 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 two six two five five four zero. 888-262-5540 jordan goodman is an affiliate he recognizes quality solutions forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tina Hay, founder of Napkin Finance. Her website, napkinfinance.com, and her book is called Napkin Finance, Build Your Wealth in 30 Seconds or Less. Welcome back to the show, uh, Tina.
2: Thank you so much.
1: You've got a section on taxes. So, what are the main taxes that people need to pay, and what do they need to know that they typically do not know about taxes?
2: Right. So unfortunately, there you know, as the saying goes, you know death and taxes are two things that are certain in anyone's life. Um, the main types of taxes are personal income, sales tax, capital gains, estate taxes, property taxes, and then corporate income and you know as taxes are an essential part of all of our lives and um it's important to understand how they impact us but also why they're important
1: do you think that the tax bill of 2017 has been in general a benefit or not helped most people
2: um so it's difficult to say i mean we we see people who benefit from tax law and many who are you know at a disadvantage so it really depends on your financial considerations, and and it can really go both ways.
1: I mean, many more people now are going to stake the standard deduction and therefore not have any deductions, mortgage interest, charitable contributions, almost anything, which simplifies their lives, but it also means they don't get the deductions they were counting on in the past.
2: Right. That's correct.
1: So on tax returns, what are some of the things that people need to know to make sure that their tax returns are done well?
2: Well, I mean, there are easy ways to kind of find, find help to file these days, and you can always file for an extension. Um, it's important if you're 1099 that you understand how you have different tax considerations. You may owe estimated taxes, um, but really with tax returns, it's just a, a matter of making sure that they're on time and they, they, they're filed um, in a very systematic and in and, and a correct way.
1: So there's a whole controversy about the gig economy that you talk about. If you're working for Uber or Lyft or Tax Rabbit, uh, Task Rabbit, uh, what are some things you have to be careful on in the tax front?
2: Right. So oftentimes at these gig economy companies, most of them startups, but not just that. Many small businesses, many employers um, bring on independent contractors to avoid employee expenses. And so oftentimes you know, they, they've been ruled against. And now many employees who are actually working traditional hours and, you know, work as employees are now being classified by as employees instead of 1099s. I think it
1: actually, the California law changed on that recently, right? What has been the impact of that?
2: That's correct. So, yes, a lot of businesses who were trying to kind of get around um, having employee expenses were were working with subcontractors. And so that's changing quite a bit.
1: So does that make it people working in the gig economy does that make it easier to get more benefits or they don't get hired as much what's been the impact
2: I think it goes both ways some you know a lot you know the reason Uber was able to scale so quickly was because they had all of these you know 1099s that were working for them so for it's become a lot more expensive for a lot of these you know companies these gig economy companies to hire people and maintain them and provide health benefits and so on
1: yeah You have a section on entrepreneurship, which you call Go Big. What are some of the key things people know to be be a successful entrepreneur?
2: Right. So entrepreneurship, I mean, most people are, on. you know, at some point in their lives may become an entrepreneur um, in very different ways. It can be working with a startup or within an existing business. But really the most important things are that you're, you know, building something, you're taking a risk and that you persist and you keep going until you do kind of reach or realize your goals.
1: You have some advice from Steve Jobs about how to start a startup, what would that be?
2: Um, the advice from Steve Jobs is, let's see, um, so basically he says, stay hungry, stay foolish. Yes. Uh, that's his the kind of, you know, his famous um, line that people have established. But again, Steve Jobs is a great example of someone who, you know, has been an entrepreneur so many times in different capacities. Working um, with an, with Apple, and previous to his, you know, running Apple, he's been at different companies. But he ha- he's maintained that entrepreneurship kind of um, way of working and building and creating new products that, you know, really changed the way that we interact with things in such a dramatic way.
1: What do you think makes the difference between a successful and an unsuccessful startup?
2: Wow, I mean, there's so many things. It's you know it's it's about access to capital. So a lot of startups fail because they don't have access to you know funding. And so before the ideas even has some traction, the company falls apart. It's a matter of having great people. It's a matter of persistence and timing, you know, right place at the right time is a huge factor. If you have a new type of technology that people are ready for, all of those are important um, considerations to understanding which company will make it and which won't.
1: You have a section at the end where you kind of get into various uh, economic ideas, uh, one of them being the rule of 72s. How does that one work?
2: Yeah, so the rule of seventy-two is an is an interesting one. It's, it's how to double your money. So, most people have had used to attribute it to Einstein. Um, the but it's basically a very very simple formula. Um, and basically, one second the you know, the 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 key is to understand the amount of interest you need to double your money. And so by using the formula of 72 over the rate of return or interest that you have, it'll determine how many years it will take to double your money. So it's a very simple formula, but can be very powerful when you're trying to make that estimation.
1: And then you've got a brief description of game theory. How does that work?
2: Right. So game theory is really interesting, and and some people think it's less of a financial concept, but we we consider it part of... um, finance is how to predict people's decisions um, using a certain model. So people often think of prisoner's dilemma. It's, is it better to be thinking about your self-interest or thinking about the outcome for all? And so game theory is just a way of thinking and strategizing that considers what other people are going to be, um, their actions will be, to help guide your own.
1: In the roughly two minutes we have left, kind of sum all this up, what difference will it make in people's lives if they learn about finance through napkin finance in the way you've done it as opposed to the way it's been happening in the past?
2: Yeah, so I think some money and finance is critical for everyone to understand. And most of the, our education around it is through either friends and family or school or when it's too late. And so what we try to do at napkin finance is we don't sell any products, we don't have any... Um, you know, we're not trying to make you kind of invest in a certain stock or account. What we try to do is pe- be transparent and, ad- and advocate really for our readers. And so we're an education company that, again, makes it easier, more palatable, more, more fun, more engaging to understand financial topics and those that range everywhere from the basics to things that are more complex and, and difficult to understand.
1: Well, I think you've made it a lot of fun for people to learn about personal finance, and they can learn a lot by going this. I would recommend people go to her website, which is napkinfinance.com. Can they buy the book at that website as well, by the way? Um,
2: We have links to Amazon, but it's it's available anywhere books are sold. But on the website, we have a a link to Amazon and other places.
1: Very good. Again, the book is called Napkin Finance, Build Your Wealth in 30 Seconds or Less. Her website is napkinfinance.com. Thanks so much for being a great guest on The Money Answer Show, Tina.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.
0: Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.